Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode three of L on Earth. I'm just as surprised as you are that we've made it here, but we have, and hopefully this week's show will be as good as the others, because I think they've been getting better and better, and I'm hoping that's a trend that continues. This week, for the first time, we have a male guest on the podcast, a fellow Cambridgean from Robinson College, albeit on a different course, James Millar. James, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell the people listening a bit about who you are. Well, hello. Uh, I'm James, as Elliot has introduced me. I'm studying natural sciences at Robinson. Um, and yeah, me and Elliot basically met during the first term of our first year and have stayed friends ever since. Oh, of course. So you're a Natsuki like Chloena was last week. Uh, are you at Cambridge at the moment or are you still studying from home with all the COVID stuff going on? Yeah, so I'm currently in Cambridge. Um, very quiet and nothing going on, but it's easier for my work, so... Yeah. Are you finding that the online term has impacted you too much or so far not as badly as you thought it might? I think uh, learning online is definitely more difficult and you don't have as much motivation because you're not getting any kind of social interaction. The fact that they've given us uh, zero live lectures this term hasn't helped at all. But yeah, we're, we're making it through. Live lectures is certainly the point where I also lost motivation slightly now that they're all recorded you don't really need to get up for them but at the same time I think there's a point to be made that recorded lectures are still quite good even if we do go back to a physical term because they give you a chance to take notes and to sort of revise the material from the lecture in a way you might not otherwise but I don't know if that's just me thinking that or if that's a sort of shared opinion oh definitely I mean if lectures were all live and none of them were recorded, then I'd have to get up at 9am six out of seven days a week, which I don't think would happen for the entirety of my three terms a year. So I'm quite glad they record them. <laughs> you say six of seven days, that means you've got weekend work as well, does it? I do. Funnily enough, uh, Natsuki's have Saturday lectures, um, which, yeah, is not fun, but uh, I I'm, I'm used to it now and I've got my routine, so... It's not awful. So tell us a bit about Natsuki, obviously, is it's a fairly broad subject in terms of the fact you're doing a lot of different sciences at once. We heard last week that Loena was big into space and sort of AI and that side of things. Where's your interest in terms of the subject as a whole? See, I'm, I don't know, I would class myself as a, a different breed of Natsuki. I don't do chemistry at all, which is quite odd. Um, so I'm very interested in physics and biology, um, which are two very opposite ends of the spectrum. But yeah, one area where they do uh, overlap is something called astrobiology, which is effectively the study of alien life. Um, and I, yeah, I find that quite cool. And the fact that we might find something on Mars is very interesting to me. That is very cool. So if you're not doing chemistry as a component, do you have an alternate that's instead of that or do you just not do it whatsoever? So I'm studying maths, physics, and then material science and earth sciences. So earth is kind of my my last option and it's effectively the study of rocks, which is sometimes a joke, but sometimes like you actually, <laughs> you don't want to be there at all. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you could say you're a pretty down-to-earth guy. 
perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> so, tell us a bit about. Obviously, Cambridge is quite an institution. It's usually a lot of people who go there go on to do research or sort of top of their field type things. What are you interested in doing? Because it's nice to look to the future with all the COVID malarkey sort of stunting us at the moment. What are you hoping to go on and do? Is that something you've thought about yet? Was that one of the reasons you applied to Cambridge specifically? Or is there plans for the future that you've thought of yet? Um, Yeah, so before applying, I didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do in the future. Uh, I was guessing something science related, uh, but then was very much open to other ideas. One thing I've kind of uh, come across in the last month or two is consulting, where effectively you get to, as a scientist, using your skills, work on a problem that various different companies might give you uh, to improve the company. Uh, And then that often leads to new scientific discoveries in your area of interest. Well, that's Uh, quite Which I think, yeah, would be very interesting. Yeah, I think that's quite cool because consulting is obviously sort of an option for many different subjects. I know one of the big things that was spoken to me about when I was looking at Warwick as an option was consulting linguistically and that is a company's thing so would you be as a consultant in that field would you be aiming specifically at scientific companies or would it be more helping with the scientific aspects of more general companies? I think I could do either but I prefer to aim for scientific companies uh, and keep it kind of yeah, I guess I'd be working with more like-minded people, but then also across the broad range of science, which would be, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to work with people from other disciplines and see what everyone else has to offer. It's quite a broad field, I guess, as well. Consulting, you can do all kinds of things, and a lot of the time you're your own, you can be your own boss if you want to. So it offers a lot, I think. What about sort of PhD type stuff? Are you looking at doing just your years at Cambridge as an undergraduate or are you hoping to go on and do further study or have you just not thought about it yet? Yeah, so a lot lot of Natsuki's at Cambridge go on to do uh, a master's four-year course. So I'm thinking of doing that partly because first year has been impacted quite heavily. Um, But also, yeah, I'll I'll see once I get to second, third year because thankfully we don't have to decide. Uh, But I don't think I'm going to do a PhD. That, yeah scares me a lot but but you'd have to specify uh, so much about one thing you want to study for a while would you be sticking with robinson college if you stayed on or would you be spreading your wings to one of the other i think it's 31 cambridge colleges see i uh, i applied directly to robinson which it turns out Ooh. is quite rare <laughs> uh yeah i think i'd stick at robinson i quite like it and after three years i don't think i'd want to leave that's fair enough because we've got as Robinson College I'm assuming a lot of the other colleges have got a similar thing coming up but I know specifically for us we've got supposedly our room ballot coming quite soon with the Easter term what are you thinking your plans are for next year because Robinson College is one of the staircase colleges are you hoping to stay on those staircases as you have as a fresher or are you hoping to get one of the flats or a house what are your plans where would you like to live next year assuming Covid is aside and we can actually go out and go to places yeah so i think ideally uh one of the houses or one of the sets that they offer partly because those have ovens um and because they're not all on a staircase uh but yeah to be honest i'd be quite happy with any setup as long as i was near people that i you know i can hang with and then 
Yeah, the, the oven thing would be nice, but I think I can sacrifice that for being with my friends. Ovens are obviously one of the big draws I even saw when we when we were back in college, um, because I'm still studying at home. I even spied a freezer through one of the windows, and if no we way. get a freezer, I'll be so set. <laughs> you, you make a good point, though, about being able to hang with people, because... So obviously we are friends, that is why I've reached out to you to help me with this week's podcast. Um, but one of the oddest Cambridge traditions, which we haven't spoken about on the podcast, but which I think is definitely one that people might have heard of, or if they haven't, will be very curious to hear about, is our whole college family system. Because that's something we've got to be thinking about, because in theory, we'd have been having our marriage ceremony next term. Do you want to tell people a bit about what on earth I'm on about and what the college families are and how you've approached all of that. Yeah, so normally when you tell people about college families and college marriages, um, (laughs) they just find it quite weird. But it's effectively, uh, when you join a college, you are assigned uh, college parents and college brothers and sisters. Um, So, normally in second year, so obviously once Elliot and I get to second year, we will also have to be parents for incoming freshers. Uh, So we are both currently engaged um, in loving relationships. And yeah, I don't know when they're going to hold our marriage ceremonies, but hopefully some formal event next term. Very exciting. It's really one of those things that you... I don't know about you, but I definitely read quite a few articles about it before I arrived. I know it was one of the things a lot of my friends were saying oh, do you know about the marriage and stuff? And I ended up reading all the tab articles talking about the do's and don'ts. Like, don't propose to someone you actually like because it's the ultimate friend zone. Uh, And one of the most common things that happens, which I know has happened with me, is college-cest, where you marry one of your brothers or sisters from your first year. So I'm marrying our mutual friend, Duncan, who's an engineer. Perhaps we'll have him on one day, uh, who also happens to be my college brother. We share college parents. Um, It's an interesting system, to say the least. It's a very odd tradition. It's quite... For people who are perhaps not as outgoing, it's quite a difficult thing to think about. I I know it was one of the things I was a bit scared about coming in was how does this work and how am I going to do it and how are you meant to organise it and ah! Yeah, I think when you're coming in, it seems like quite a big deal, uh, especially with yeah all the articles and stuff that you mentioned. But realistically, all it is is one ceremony and then maybe you take your, your college kids out to drinks <laughs> once or twice in Michaelmas. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's quite a nice system and a way to chat to some of the people in the year above you uh, and find out some of their tips for the first few weeks of term. I know that a lot of other universities obviously have like buddy systems and things like second years being paired up with first years to sort of show them around and be there if they need assistance. But it is, it's very odd that they have to make it a families thing in Cambridge. And I can't say I know the original roots of it, but I do know that it's actually quite, like you say, it's quite nice it doesn't feel as patronising as a buddy system, I don't think, because everyone likes to laugh at it and make fun of the idea that 
your mums and dads and brothers and sisters and it's all interconnected but it is certainly an odd tradition as Cambridge has a few of things like pennying which we haven't had a chance to do this year is a Cambridge and Oxford I think as well has a tradition where when you're at a formal dinner you try and put a penny in someone else's drink which means they have to down the entire drink but people have been disciplined by wardens and porters for pennying each other and obviously with the lack of formal dinners this year let alone the sort of germ fest of putting a penny in someone's drink that's been far out of the question and I think something we've touched on and something lots of places have talked about is just how much and you mentioned it yourself how much Covid has impacted on being a fresher so I'll ask you a question I asked Hannah in our first podcast do you think you made the right choice coming to uni this year would you have liked to take a gap year or do you think it's been as you'd expected or better yeah see i think i've tried to make the most of the first year as it has been uh and especially coming to college for second term has meant i get a little bit more out of it even if not much um i think some people would argue that yeah it's it's better maybe to take a gap year but uh i don't know what i would have done on that gap year because (laughs) there's not many opportunities for things to do uh, or interesting things to do so yeah I, th- I think coming to Cambridge for first year was was a good decision I think luckily with the structure of our college at least and I know with some others before the second lockdown proper or before the new restrictions it was actually an all right first term I think obviously clubs and things weren't open but at the very start of term we had a chance to go out once or twice to the pubs I know we went to the pub just before we left and came back. Um, And I think, I'll say, I think our nicest thing was being able to make friends quickly sort of in that first week due to the proximity. And because we were all in that same boat, being able to know which restrictions could be bent and which ones couldn't, we'll say. Um, I know one of our big things in college last term was Bridgmas, um, which was, I I do think has been the highlight of my year so far. Again, I'll explain. Because Cambridge has sh- has such short terms, uh, we tend to celebrate Christmas on the 25th of November, so a month earlier, before you all go home, so you have a chance to still sort of have that festive atmosphere. By then, Lidl and Sainsbury's are all selling their Christmas items. We did Secret Santa, which was certainly something. Um, I ended up getting a Borat Mankini, uh, some alcohol and a rather explicit item that I don't think I can mention because I've been sticking to clean language on this podcast, but it was a really nice way, I think, to sort of take in the restrictions and the limitations of COVID and still have some of that freshest experience, I think. And I don't know if you've got any sort of similar stories about things in our first or second term that you're glad you got a chance to do or that you're glad you took part in. Yeah, see... It wasn't too much different uh, to a normal term, other than just the lack of numbers at various events. And obviously, clubs were shut, various shops were shut, and there was a lockdown at some point during that first term. Um, But I think, in general, the college was quite kind in terms of the restrictions that they paid attention to and the ones that they didn't, uh, and kind of let us have a little bit of leeway. And yeah, it made the first term bearable, definitely. And it means we've made at least a few friends uh, before coming into this second term. 
I agree with you completely. I think it was really good that we got a chance to interact and to meet people. I think as much as everyone dreaded online freshers week and sort of socially distanced icebreakers and things like that, I think it was actually run surprisingly well or better than I expected it would be because it was all run by the student union. And I do think there was this awareness by the college. They were very fair in terms of don't break the law, don't put people at risk, but we understand that within the college, you will want to interact with people. So I think we were one of the only colleges that had our bar open and our common room, which was, I think, especially in those first few weeks, was really important for forming relationships and sort of establishing friendships. And in true uni student fashion, being able to sample the local Lidl's wide range of cheap knockoff drinks. I know you and I are both connoisseurs of fake Baileys and fake Malibu, uh, such classics as Lidl's Coconut Cove. Oh no, Aldi's Coconut Cove, sorry. Lidl has Coconut Bay. It's, it's, it was a surprisingly good term for being able to live the uni experience without having the clubs and things, especially given that now we've seen some of Cambridge's top clubs have been closed, which we never got a chance to go to. But I think that's probably something any fresher listening to this is feeling is that it's tough and it's disappointing that we're not able to get out, but it's been manageable. And for us, it's been new normal for a year and a half now. We never had a term that had all those things open, like second and third years who have seen actual restrictions and a loss of things. For us, it's just been an opening up to all these new experiences. So I don't think it was as awful as we'd anticipated it would be. Though obviously I think we're all looking forward to being done with this virus. Yeah, I think it will definitely make me value um, non-COVID times a lot more, especially within university terms. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see the difference and I'm yeah excited for how much better university could get. Because uh, I yeah, I've been pretty happy so far. Um, sad to miss out on uh, one of Cambridge's main clubs closing. <laughs> But yeah, we roll, so. <laughs> I'm assuming you'll be getting, if you ever got offered the vaccine, you would get it because I know you and I both uh, did get the virus in our sixth or seventh week of term. That was not an enjoyable experience, to say the least. The virus is not fun, even though we're less affected by it than older people. It was, it was certainly an interesting experience. Yeah, because I know you had it worse than well, certainly myself and a, a few other people I know that got it. Um, one good thing is we had only to isolate for 10 days because they introduced that law <laughs> pretty soon before we came down with it. Um, but yeah, I would definitely get a vaccine if it was offered. I don't know if it will ever come down to our age group. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't really understand people that say they wouldn't take the vaccine because they don't know what's in it because some of the other things they eat and drink and partake in. <laughs> should, we, should we share our, our one tradition that we've already created of the danger bottle, which was a terrible, terrible idea of mixing all of our clear spirits and seeing how it tasted. That was, I think it was a quintessential student experience, but it was not necessarily the best idea we ever had. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah, it, maybe not the best idea. Then again, 
a few weeks after we stopped using Danger Bottle, we did all <laughs> contract the virus. So there is technically uh, there is evidence to suggest it was beneficial. <laughs> technically, Danger Bottle was a benefit, but we would not advise that to anyone, and we are simply saying it to show that it was a part of the student experience. Do not try this at home. Um, it's it's been certainly an interesting time. I know one of the other big things at Cambridge at the moment, virus aside, is this talk of, and I know we followed on from the likes of Manchester, and I think some other universities are following us now, was this idea of the rent strike. What are your thoughts on that at the moment? Yeah, I think the, we're definitely right to kind of want or claim a refund in part for, yeah, the damages that have been done to this first year. Uh, especially to the teaching, because whilst universities may claim that they've kept the quality uh, consistent whilst moving teaching online, I don't think any student would agree with them. So yeah, I haven't been in too involved with the whole rent strike thing, but I'd definitely show my support if there was, uh, I don't know, something in person maybe when it's allowed, some kind of protest. Because we've just had the announcement today about the fact that initially they were saying, because of the laws, obviously this isn't like Cambridge wanting to affect its students, it's they're having to work within government restrictions. I know originally they were planning to say that anyone at uni at the moment had to stay over the Easter term, but this morning we've had the announcement that you can have one journey, still within government restrictions, you're encouraged not to, but legally you're allowed to. I'm assuming that's come as a relief to you as someone who's at college at the moment and otherwise would have to stay the entire Easter holiday. Yeah, it's definitely a relief because out of choice, I would I would like to go home for the Easter holidays. Um, so yeah, I'm glad they've kind of made that allowance to students. And especially because if we had stayed in college over the vacation, we would have been uh, forced to, to pay vacation rent, which would have been, uh, I think it was about 500, 600 for the four or five weeks. That's quite full on, especially if you're working under a student budget and on a loan, etc, etc. I know that that's quite a tough thing that you'd have to deal with, but it's good that there's sort of some allowance in place and that there's understanding. And I can't stress enough the fact that our college have been pretty excellent, I'd say, in terms of it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And yet they've managed to, our, I know our student representatives have been excellent in communicating with us and with the college and in sort of discussing ideas. I would say that it's obviously a tough situation either way. And there's a sort of, it's easy to, as a student, to try and vilify the institution. But I'd say that overall, my experience at least, but then again, I'm not currently at college. My experience of them working under the rules so far has been pretty good and I couldn't really expect much more, I don't think. Yeah, I definitely agree. And when you put on top of that, the fact that currently I think there are zero positive cases across, what, 4,000 plus students that are getting tested weekly in Cambridge, uh, the university's definitely done a good job of controlling and tracking the the spread of this virus so uh, the university hopefully hasn't made too much of a, an impact on the community we had we've had since the start of the year pretty much weekly virus testers tests either parts of our household or the entire thing and i know i've got siblings who have gone back to secondary school this week and now they're having tests rolled out to go into school it seems that 
potentially we might be able to get this thing a bit more under control or at least we might be able to as you say track it better because track and trace at the start wasn't wasn't what it needed to be i don't think no uh there was some statistic i think more people have downloaded TikTok in 2020 than downloaded the NHS app, um, <laughs> which kind of shows the, the country's attitude to lockdown. But yeah, uh, it's good that the university has been kind of one of the forerunners in testing pretty much everyone, uh, and they've done pretty well at it. So, I think the main worry now is people are wanting the British summertime obviously with the June 21st date I think the fear at the moment and I don't know if you share it but the worry for me at least is that on the 21st and as the sun comes out people are just gonna forget all the progress we've made and obviously we all want to get out we all want summer we all want holidays but if we are too rash in our movements and in our decisions to socialise, then we could set ourselves back for another year. And I don't think anyone wants that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it could be the case that a week before June 21st, we get, you know, another four week lockdown announced. I think that would really put everyone's spirits down. But hopefully people don't, you know, act rashly and kind of worsen the situation for everybody else. So let's let's say hypothetically, ideal world, Lockdown's ended by June 21st. Have you got any plans? Is there anything you want to do with the summer or not? I think I would want to go abroad, but if I wanted that, I'd have to book now and <laughs> there's no chance I'm doing that. So yeah, I think kind of just meeting up again with friends, family and people that I haven't been able to see very often for the last year and spending it, you know, in and around the UK, maybe taking a few day trips to places as well. I know it was cut off in our first podcast, so I'll reiterate. I can't wait for the first day we're back in spoons and someone drops a glass and you get the British classic. Whoa! (laughs) That will be the sound of the summer, I think. It'll be curious to see how things go. Sort of on a closer to home level and a less idealistic one, I know you and I are both excited for clubs to open back up in terms of sports clubs and fitness and activities because you and I... I think both equally tried to get as involved in that in our first term as we could. So why don't you tell people a bit about what you got into, what you're looking forward to, and sort of any advice almost for people who are looking at extracurriculars at university? Yeah, so Natsuki is probably one of the busier courses, but in first time I managed to start with the rowing and the Robinson Badminton Club. And then if it was if it was on, I would have uh, attended some of the climbing sessions as well. But sadly, I didn't get the chance to do that. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed all of them. And I think it definitely helped me to relax whilst, you know, studying a pretty difficult degree. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for when all of that opens up again. And it's just a chance to meet people as well as uh, do something you enjoy. How have you found you're, you're fairly into your fitness, I know that. You've got a pull-up bar in your college room. How have you found the lockdowns affected you on that level? Because I think the first lockdown I used to get more into sports and stuff, but then since Christmas, I've let myself go. Yeah, I, I'm pretty similar. Uh, although it wasn't Christmas, it was kind of just the start of university <laughs> term. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've tried to keep up a level of fitness and... I think I can probably get back into it, but it's definitely gone a little bit downhill. I think but we, that's understandable. Yeah, I think I think we could see 
potentially sports clubs are likely to be one of the first things to open up I think and that could be a really good opportunity to sort of reintegrate that social interaction into things um, and being able to get back into feeling a bit less like just a student and more like a person who's like well-rounded and able to do activities and things because I know at the moment a lot of people are feeling the strain of working we've got two weeks left of our term we're nearly at the end other universities have still got three or four secondary schools the same I think a lot of people are currently feeling that sort of crash almost and that sort of weakening of their drive almost to work so I do feel for the people who are doing exams because even though I think some of them have been cancelled I could be wrong there with the A-levels but I know people doing A-levels are still doing mocks and stuff I really feel for them if I'm honest because we've got automatic progression if we take our exams as long as we're not on a clinical course but when you're in secondary school I think now we're sort of realising and appreciating the fact that we don't have to worry about that as much now and people who are applying to unis I I wouldn't want to be in their position this year I don't think yeah definitely not um I mean in the case that A-level students do have to do exams it would kind of be the reverse of what we had uh so we had normal teaching and then online meant we had no exams but (laughs) these current students have had online teaching and then will be expected to take the exams would be really difficult I think um, and also the fact that a lot of people from our first year have intermitted, so that will make the applications a little bit more competitive this year. So I'd like to touch on with you there. I know you were at a independent school. Um, I came from a grammar school. I was wondering if there was a lot of talk when the A-level fiasco, as some places have called it, came about. There was a suggestion that things like private schools and grammar schools were given arguably an unfair advantage because of track records and postcodes and those kinds of things and that's how the system had worked itself out do you feel that your secondary school experience sort of set you up for university or not as much as people think Uh, i think in general disregarding all the a-level drama and everything i think yeah i got a few more opportunities handed to me i would say um so yeah, it, it, in in real in real life, it it does affect a bit uh, your chances of uh, doing well in your your applications to university. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if it affects you too much once you're then at the university, because obviously everyone then has the same experience. I think naturally there are some things on that sort of debate that we can't comment on because it's not our experience but I'd say one of the things that I've sometimes wondered or felt and I wonder if this is the same for you whether you say about having experiences or opportunities handed to you I wonder if there's also an aspect of being at somewhere that's seen as more competitive or things like that can sometimes drive you to do better than you would have done otherwise you know like perhaps there's an oh i'm not disregarding the existence of opportunities i know that's very much a factor and i'd be fascinated to see other people's experiences and hear what they have to say about it but i think there's also a component of being somewhere like that so obviously our schools were still slightly different i know for me at least 
doing exams to get into school as much as they were only done in year seven which is an issue in and of itself I think especially when when then that goes on to help your predicted grades for GCSEs and things I think there's an element of and this is true even when you're not at a grammar school or when you're at a different university it feels like there's an element of if you choose or you go to somewhere that's sort of at the highest end of competition for yourself or against other people it sometimes feels like perhaps that's an environment that forces you to do better overall and i wonder if that's something you feel as well because i know one of the things people talk about with places like cambridge and oxford is uh, imposter syndrome but i wonder if you feel that ever or if you feel like if you feel like you were sort of nurtured into that environment because i know at least for me the university experience has been very different to the teaching experience before it and i think that's something that almost needs to change with secondary schools is they need to teach not just towards a syllabus but towards an actual style of learning that is more reflective of university yeah i think the cambridge style of learning is definitely different um i quite like it the the way we have our setup but uh yeah the things you say about uh schools possibly being more competitive than also helping you um yeah that could be true um it definitely could mean that i may have had to find less drive in myself to uh yeah achieve some of the things i i have it's one of those situations where it's it feels very difficult to talk about it ever objectively you know you're always shaped by your circumstances so i don't want to get too into it for fear of you know potentially coming across in a way that I wouldn't ever want to but I think it's an interesting debate to be had about I think Covid has really highlighted how teaching works sort of in general and sort of what works and what doesn't because I I remember it's the oddest thing to me now being at university being able to have a laptop open in my lessons essentially and just googling on the fly rather than trying to remember dates that I wouldn't have otherwise. I think it's a very, we, we've had a supervisor give us some practice of peer reviewing at the moment because that's something that she says you don't get enough opportunity to try as an undergraduate. And I wonder if this could be sort of pushed down to secondary schools as well. If you could give kids more of an option of, I'm assuming it's things like STEM, which I never did myself, so I can't speak to the experience. But I wonder if we'd get a benefit if we offered more of a sort of holistic style of teaching in secondary schools and if it we tried to offer more ways to learn if that makes sense rather than just here's the content learn it do the coursework we obviously still have to do an element of that for our exams remembering things but it feels almost like now at least to me i feel a lot more engaged with my studies because of the fact that you get more of an opportunity to there isn't a right or a wrong answer. A lot of the things you're talking about are debates around a topic rather than how are women presented in Othello? Here's the key quotations you need to know. You're sort of doing a, a different style of actually engaging with a subject and being able to focus not only in your subject choice, because it's obviously very different. You study one subject at uni, you study three or four subjects at A-level, you study 11 
at GCSE. There's an absurd difference between the levels of things that there isn't enough, it seems, opportunity to experience before you reach those levels. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think some aspects of, say, secondary school education are a bit outdated and, you know, could be updated. Um, things like, you know, you can't just Google things on the fly when, in reality, that's going to help you a lot more than just sitting down for hours and memorising things. Because effectively, if you can memorise things, you'll get through school pretty okay. But um, they don't teach you how to do your taxes. So, um, yeah, there's definitely ups and downs to the way we're taught in secondary school. And it doesn't relate too much to university learning. Um, but it's definitely helped me. Um, I, I just guess it, it could be a bit better. Yeah. I think it just reminds me of one of those, you know, you always see the rage comments, comics where it's like, teacher said I wouldn't have a calculator in my pocket, but now I have an iPhone, <laughs> you know, them times. It's, it's very different. And I think COVID has highlighted that a lot. But, you know, there's always going to be differences in the system and there's always going to be things that work and things that don't for different people. Like, for me, linguistics as a subject is a lot sciencier than I'd ever anticipated. But it was thanks to, you know, I hadn't seen myself doing it a year ago, like, or two years ago, I wouldn't have thought of applying. I was thinking of applying for literature. I, I wasn't even thinking of doing language at A-level. I was going to do psychology. It's one of those things where I think... I think outreach is, is important. I know they've had some emails recently discussing that from a college level. It'll be interesting to see when the pandemic ends, how that kind of thing works and whether there are any changes made because everything got shaken up so much. But so that we're not dwelling on this too much longer. There's been another bit of big news recently in the last day or two. Um, about a certain royal family and about a certain interview and I'm sure people listening have all if they've not watched the interview they've heard about it because it's really taken over the airwaves at the moment and taken over media and of course we're talking about the interview with Harry, Meghan and Oprah. I assume you still call him Prince Harry or not? Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched the whole interview myself. Um, I probably should, because it seems quite interesting, especially some of the stuff I've heard about. Um, but yeah, it's been everywhere. And it feels like this is a thing that's been going on for quite a while. And maybe the press have only just kind of let the public know about it, I guess. It, do it has seemed there's been a lot of talk about, you know, people are very opinionated about this and whether we should be defending the couple or not and whether essentially the question has come up, why have they done this interview now? Which I can very much see the point of because it is, it's so, it's such a big shake up and it's such a sort of, not expose, but it's obviously talking about some issues that are very large in their consequence if they're true or if they're to be believed or if there's evidence to support them. Things like, obviously, some of the comments we probably don't want to talk that much about because they were very shocking. But I know at least Megan's comments on mental health, I thought, were some of the most... Not jarring, because I don't know if it was entirely unexpected from such an old institution, but I think those were some of the comments 
that hit a lot of people hardest and shocked a lot of people the most about the fact that she went to the institution for help and couldn't get it or was told it wouldn't look good. And when you add that to comments about the baby and stuff, it does seem like this interview has sort of shaken the very foundation. So I wonder what, you say you haven't watched the whole interview, but most people have seen the headlines, have seen clips of it, or have seen reactions to it. I know there's been a lot today about Piers Morgan uh, talking about it, though I can't comment on that because I haven't watched it yet. Um, where would you say this is all coming from almost, or what do you think could be the implications of this interview? Because I think it's currently the thing on a lot of people's minds. Yeah, see, I don't know what kind of the countrywide view is, but um, certainly before all this uh, drama, I guess, there was kind of a, a split of opinions about the monarchy, um, whether we should have it, how much power we should kind of give it and respect it and everything. Um, but I think this interview might shake up things quite a bit, uh, especially with some of you know the controversial comments that have come out of it. Um, and especially, I saw a post that compared some of the media headlines over the years. Um, one's talking about uh, Kate and William, and then comparing that to one's talking about Harry and Meghan, uh, and being very much positive and negative, uh, when in reality they were pretty much the same circumstances. Well, I'd have to admit, I don't know a lot about the monarchy. It feels like it feels like this sort of institution that's never really had a direct impact on us except for the press, you know? Like, I don't see how it affects us day to day. But then obviously interviews like this become such a national thing because the monarchy is one of those very British things that a lot of people believe in but also debate like you say there's the debate about whether or not there even should be a monarchy i've seen plenty of sort of satire articles about what the irish think of it it's all been very blown up and i wonder where we go from here because people have said you know the relationship between harry and william is now shattered forever etc etc i wonder what's going to happen next and whether it's going to affect the country or whether it's just going to be one of these tabloid headlines fade to black you know it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next obviously we have to give some kind of credit to Meghan and Harry for being brave and speaking about these very sort of you're dealing with the monarchy that's not exactly a yeah, small yeah. <laughs> gripe to show but you have to obviously give them some kind of credit for speaking honestly, if that's what they were, and speaking frankly. But at the same time, you do have to question, why now? Why Oprah? Why do it as an interview and sort of put it into the public sphere? Especially because then there's a whole nother conversation to be had about the fact that the full interview, I think, is on one of these streaming plus services that you have to pay for to view it. It's very much a question of, I myself, I don't think I'm biased either way. I don't know enough to sort of have a real opinion in, oh, they should have done or they shouldn't have done. The most I know Meghan Markle from is just having finished suits. The most I know about the monarchy is that we learn about their history. But it'll be very curious. And if any listeners ever want to send in a comment about it, it will be fascinating to see what the greater implications of this are and where it goes next. And indeed, whether we're even talking about this in a week or whether it's been pushed under the carpet. 
Yeah, I definitely think it'll be interesting. It's effectively a clash between the monarchy, which is very traditional and been established for you know hundreds of years, and then all these people within that family now kind of turning into modern celebrities with you know the spread of social media and widespread media um and i don't know how they they must have a plan to kind of handle something like that but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out especially with this shaking up pretty much everything this must have been months in the making obviously but then you look at stories from this year things about like Prince Andrew and honestly we haven't seen much more conversation about that since it happened to be honest and it's one of those things where is it a tabloid is it a flash in the pan type story or is this actually gonna have some kind of implication to perhaps not necessarily the monarchical structure because I think it's too powerful in an institution to just be ended but it'll be very curious to see how the public reaction changes to the monarchy and also to Harry and Meghan. It's obviously going to create some very strong divides, per se, but obviously this won't have been a thing they just did as a, on a whim. This will be something that's been planned and that's been discussed and that's probably had legal consultation. So I wonder where we're going next and whether, if on the next episode of the podcast, whether it's something that's developed even further or whether it's just been and gone. Yeah. I don't know, it could be something that just kind of goes away within the week, but uh, what the media decide to kind of talk about is very much up to them. So for example, the Prince Andrew stuff did kind of just get washed down the drain, but if they wanted to talk about that for months, they probably could have done. Uh, So I don't know what they'll decide to do with, with this new kind of drama. I think this is one of those stories where we're gonna see most clearly the core of public opinion and the fact that Every day we become more connected and every day social media becomes more powerful. Things like last month, the fact that Facebook just shut off news in Australia entirely for a, a week or so. It'll be very curious to see, obviously, what does what's the press going to report and what are people going to think and what's going to be done. It's all going to be very different and things that we probably haven't seen up to this point because I don't think we've ever really seen anything of this nature of the royals against the royals per se but it'll be something to think about in the future i think though that's a good place for us to come to an end we've had a good conversation i think we've covered all the points we wanted to this week and i think that's where we'll end the episode thank you so much for coming and joining me thank you very much for having me and thank you for sharing your opinions because i know some of the topics we covered in this week as relevant as they were i think could have been fairly controversial but i'm hoping we navigated it well As ever, if anyone listening has anything to say about the episode or any contributions to our discussions, you can send in a message either on my main account or to the podcast account on Instagram. Um, But otherwise, it's been fantastic having you. And things may be bad, people, but it's not always L on Earth. I hope you stay safe and stay well and that your families are well. Hopefully, we'll get through this virus all together. And even if it's a struggle, we will get there eventually. All you need to be doing now is getting through, and as long as you're surviving, you're doing more than enough. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from James, who, if you'd like to plug your Instagram or anything, feel free. If you don't want to, just sign off. 
I will simply sign off and thank you to all the listeners for putting up with me and Elliot for a good 45 minutes. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. To those loyal, loyal listeners who have listened to every episode so far, thank you for sticking with us. To anyone new, hello, be sure to stick around and hopefully we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much. Goodbye and good night. <laughs>